because sometimes it feels harsh and it feels hard. And, and so I, I sometimes I start to read it and I just go, wow, it just really feels like it's speaking to like a particular church or a particular time. And sometimes I feel like it doesn't quite relate to me. And as I've been reading this, been preparing for it, I've started to realize more and more. It's one of those things I need to go to a lot more than I have. Um, it's nice because it's short. Uh, it's, it's, you know, something that you can sit down and read in one sitting. It's not, you know, like going into 1 Corinthians or Romans and, or, or Luke or, or one of the Old Testament prophets. And you've got, you know, 50 chapters, 60 chapters and it seems overwhelming, and you've got to take it in so many small bites. You can get through Galatians quickly, uh, and I encourage you to do that, to sit there and really read it all the way through. One of the things that's hard to do when you're preaching through a book is you want to kind of skip ahead and think ahead, and so what I'm going to really try to do is hold my place and walk through it in, in, uh, in steps so that we're not just saying everything that all of Galatians gets us to. As Paul takes us through um, this this letter uh, to this particular church, um, we need to try to hear it as they heard it and not jump ahead. So uh, I'm, we're going to give you a little bit of background, a little bit of just idea of what it, we're going to get in Galatians, but we're really going to then slow down and not talk about all of it, but find it in those pieces. So let's just think about Galatians in general. The, the, the letter to the Galatian church um, is written some maybe 15 or 20 years after the resurrection of Christ. So this is a young church. It's a very young church that was started um, in Paul's first missionary journey. You can go and read about that in Acts 13 and 14. Um, <clears throat> it is before we have the Jerusalem council in the book of Acts. If you go in, into Acts and you read about that council where they deal with uh, the, the stuff of Judaism, some of the outward things and some of the, the laws and, and, and what we are to do, how we are to live. Should we do these things that the Jews did? That was dealt with in Acts, but it's dealt with after uh, the Galatian church is established. So we don't read in Galatians some reference to the Jerusalem council that we find in the book of Acts. It's, it's one of those questions. If you know Acts, you know what I'm talking about. It's one of those questions that comes up with scholars all the time, like, well, shouldn't Paul have mentioned that this has already been discussed among the apostles and among the disciples of Christ, among the early church at the time, because this is an issue that came up? It's probably because of churches like this that we actually have the Jerusalem Council uh, needing to happen to deal with the idea of, do Christians... Now, get this, and this is, we're, we're talking about Gentiles now, right? There's, we talk about Jews and Gentiles. We're going to have to just give you some really big context here. Jews and Gentiles, that's the only two people in the world, right? You've got, you've got the Jews, God's people, the nation Israel, and then you have the Gentiles, which is pretty much everybody else. Sometimes in the Bible or in other places, people talk about the Jews and what? The, the Greeks. So the, to, to call somebody a Greek would be essentially to say anybody else in the world um, or the Gentiles. So uh, when, when we talk about Galatians, the issue that's going to come up in Galatians and the real heartbeat of why Paul is writing this letter is that there are Galatians, okay, pe people who are Gentiles, who are becoming Christians, and somebody is coming into the church and teaching you need to become Christians by coming through Judaism. Now, it doesn't, it sounds kind of weird to us today, but it's interesting that you are still seeing uh, what the, the, the opposition group here that they're talking about is probably the group that we would call the Judaizers. They're the people who um, are observing the Old Testament laws, the Jewish way of life, circumcision, um, you know, the, the, the feasts, the, the, the different laws, cleansing, all of those things. <clears throat> they're, they're going to be taking these Christians and saying, now you need to kind of come through Judaism. The, you, Jews and Christians almost become this mixture rather than what we do today, which is to say the Jews had those ways, but now God's people, some of those things are not left behind, but fulfilled in Christ. The things that were done by the Jews, now Christ has fulfilled. He has, he has become 
um, the fulfillment of those things, and therefore we don't practice all the same things the Jews practice. What's interesting is, and uh, I can <clears throat> think of one particular circumstance in my own life. Uh, uh, those of you on Facebook, uh, you guys understand Facebook. If you don't understand Facebook, it's just the online place where people go and uh, you know chat about various things. But what I like about Facebook is it connects me to all these people that I've lost contact with in the past. I can reconnect with them. Uh, one of those people was my theology professor, a woman uh, in, uh, that was at Colorado Christian University, which is not affiliated with our denomination or anything. It was, uh, it's just a, a Christian school out there. Uh, I didn't know a lot about the school other than it was affiliated with uh, a Christian counselor guy that I liked, Larry Crabb at the time. And uh, I was a very young Christian and decided to go back to school to, to study the trade and to be a minister. And my theology professor uh, was, a, was a woman there, and, and she had, uh, if I remember correctly, she had dreads, um, and she drank Diet Coke. That's what I remember about her. Um, and so we'd have a whiteboard, and she'd stand there. She'd always be, she'd be making these scrunchy, she was a young, young lady, and she'd be making these scrunchy faces, like trying to explain these things. And, and I really learned a lot uh, from her, and so I, I got back in contact with her and, um, and, and through Facebook, and we haven't really talked a lot, but I, I kind of see things that she puts up, and one of the things I've just recently found out is that she uh, now has become a Jew, that she has essentially left the faith, and is, she has her own uh, synagogue and her own rabbi there, and, and puts up quotes from her rabbi, and it's a very sort of you know, sort of welcoming community to, to other kinds of faiths as well. And it's a, it's a really strange and sad thing to see the person who taught you so much, to see them lose the faith, or, or she wouldn't say that, but it's, it's a difficult thing to see. But it's interesting that Galatians is really not all that far from that. It's not quite the same thing, but there's that same kind of difficulty has come into the Galatian church. That there are these people who are coming and teaching and saying, you know what, the gospel that you have heard isn't good enough. The whole church that you have, that's been established by Paul the Apostle that was started at the time, that church, they didn't teach you enough that you need to basically go through Judaism, the Old Testament laws and these guys would be similar to Pharisees that we saw with Jesus, um, but they're, they're bringing controversy into the Galatian church. So in the letter of Galatians, what we have is we have a church that's receiving this. They're receiving this letter, and what they're basically hearing is something's wrong with you. That's what they're hearing. So let's say I had a guest preacher here today, and and uh, I invited them in because something is wrong with, uh, with our church. And they wanted to come in and say, okay, you know, you guys have all decided to worship ice cream instead of Jesus. And that's a bad thing. Um, it's a little ridiculous, obviously. But um, there's lots of things that are, that are you know, similar that, to, to what happened with the Galatians. Um, churches today go through Galatian controversies, but not necessarily with Judaism, but any number of things. I mean, I, I want to start naming them, but the, the list is so long. I mean, it can be sort of an easy believism that you, you don't want to isolate anyone. And so it's like, you know what? You don't agree with this doctrine. You don't agree with this teaching. You don't agree with this way that you do baptism. You don't agree with this way you understand the gospel. You don't understand. So there's all these things. And there's two different kinds of things that we can have. I, we talk about the open hand and the closed hand, right? The, the closed hand are things that we do not negotiate. They're not things that we go, uh, we can debate that. We don't debate whether Jesus is God. Jesus isn't God, you're not the church, right? right? Do you understand what I'm saying? So if a church says Jesus isn't God, we say, no, that's a closed-hand issue. We do not debate that. An open-handed issue is something like baptism. Our church says, you know, it's, it's kind of a closed-handed issue in the sense that you can't belong to our church without being baptized by immersion because we believe that's exactly what the Bible teaches. But we believe there are true Christians out there who really love Jesus, whole churches that are full of people who disagree with us on baptism, and yet because there's that confusion, it's confusion, it's not something that makes them lose their faith or not truly be saved. So people who are, you know, Presbyterians, um, uh, there are people like that who are Christians, they're just 
Uh, and again, not all Presbyterians, but those who truly have the gospel um, can disagree on those kinds of issues as much as we want to all agree. So we, we, we have these two kinds of hands, right? The closed issues, the open issues, and the Galatians are missing a closed hand issue. And I don't want to, I don't want to give you everything other than the Judaizers are coming in and they're trying to change just some 15 or 20 years uh, after Jesus was on the earth. They're, try, they, they're, they're being taught something else and they're starting to walk away from the gospel. And in Galatians, we're going to start seeing, we're going to start seeing various contrasts. When you read through Galatians, notice the contrasts. Things like the true gospel versus the false gospel. Faith versus works. Law versus grace, liberty versus legalism, sonship versus slavery, the fruit of the spirit versus the desires of the flesh. All of these contrasts are there in this letter. And it helps us to notice that those contrasts are there for a reason because we are in contrast with what's true. We need to be shown those contrasts so that we will get rid of what's false and believe in what's true. So let's start in Galatians. We're going to be in the first nine verses today. Listen as I read to you from Galatians chapter 1. Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead, and all the brothers who are with me, to the churches of Galatia, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you, who want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. This is God's word. So Paul, Paul is writing this. Paul has a, a kind of authority in writing this because he's the one who came through and established this church. You know, somebody who comes and establishes a church should be able to have some type of say-so, at least to be able to preach to you, to, to say, this is what we were about. If our church all of a sudden says, hey, you know what? We're going to become a mosque, and we're going to believe in Islam, or we're going to become, uh, you know, a, a synagogue, and we're going to believe in Judaism, or we're going to become and just name, you know, some other type of religion. Maybe a founder of a church would come back and say, that's not what we established. We want this church to remain that. Now, of course, you know, you have all kinds of different various things that we could say about that legally, you know, or we have a constitution, we have a foundation. We could, as a church, if we wanted to, go and change our constitution and become something else, and there's nothing that anybody could do about it. And to be honest, Paul can't go and just say, you have to do this. If they decide to go their own way, they can go. The best kind of leadership, hear me now, the best kind of leadership is not demanding leadership in which somebody just overpowers you, but in which somebody convinces you. The best kind of leadership is not where somebody overpowers you, but where somebody influences you. So that you go, yes, yes, I want to follow. If, if you know how it is, I mean, in our, in our nation, you have a politician or you have a leader or local, you know, city council or whatever it is. Or maybe somebody in your family. Maybe it's a, a parent. Even for those of you who are older, maybe it's a parent. Maybe it's a parent. Huh. Okay. Um, so... You, you maybe have somebody at your job, okay, bosses, right? You got somebody, and you, you have had bosses before, some of you, who you just go, yeah, you know, that my boss just, they, they, they don't just come and just say, you have to do this, but they really talk to me in a way that makes me want to do it. Isn't it great when you have that? I mean, I remember having bosses where you just were scared, like scared that, oh, we're being called into the office, oh, no, you know, bring... We have to go there before, before a shift starts. You have to go or whatever. I mean, there, there, there are times when you just feel that awfulness of that moment. Paul is speaking as one who's established this church. He can't force them to do anything. 
but he's trying to influence them because he knows what they are, who they are right now. There's something wrong. So Paul, an apostle, he doesn't just do it because he's the founder of the church. He does it because he is one of the founders of the church. Jesus establishes his church and he appoints specifically apostles. Those who are, apostle means sent. Um, so Paul as one sent directly from Jesus. Remember in Acts, his salvation story, right? As he is Saul, now he is Paul, as he is the one who is uh, persecuting Christians, as he is one of these Jewish leaders at the time, and now he becomes a Christian and is one who is sent from God to go and to start local churches that are the church. Okay, So Paul has this specific position. He has this authority as this sent one. He's entrusted with the gospel. You remember in, in First and Second Timothy, Titus, these kind of places where Paul is talking to pastors. He will tell the pastors, you need to entrust this gospel to others who can teach. And so we need to, to have uh, a recognition in Paul as an apostle that he has been entrusted something very special and more so than even a pastor would because he's one of those first few who are there to establish the church in a world where the church did not exist. You had the God-fearing Jews who now needed to become Christians, and now you have churches in places like Galatia. Um, if you go into your Bible maps, you can see Galatia is, is an area where you have um, many churches surely being established at that time. So Paul, as this apostle, has this caretaker mode. Some of you who have um, older parents or um, people who around you who have been sick or, or whatever, you are a caretaker for them. You, you have people like that, and you need to constantly be around them maybe, or at least regularly, or, or you're always you know, on the phone with somebody, and you're just checking up on them because you're a caretaker. You're somebody who, who feels responsible for someone else. And for those who've had people and, you know, who are dying and you're there at those last days, months, weeks, and there's so much that needs to be done to take care. There's so much that needs to be done. It's so, it's so difficult. As you're caring for that person, you feel so much weight and responsibility. You feel a kind of sadness because they're, they're going downhill. This is a church going downhill. This is a church that is almost at the point of not being called a church. And so Paul, as an apostle, has the role of caretaker. And even more so than their local elders would that we don't have today. We don't have apostles today with a, kind of the capital A apostle. We might be able to talk about somebody who's uh, apostolic or, or a, a kind of fulfills a, a similar kind of role. Somebody who might go planting churches or something like that. They might fulfill some purposes of those specific sent ones, but we don't have apostles. The, the apostles died and there's no more official apostles. So we don't really use that word anymore, although people can fulfill a similar kind of role, not as a, uh, from an overarching authoritative way, but in a church planting kind of way. So Paul, an apostle, okay, we're through three words. Here we go. He's an apostle, not from men, nor through man. He's not appointed as an apostle. He's showing what an apostle is. An apostle is not somebody that man gave the responsibility to be an apostle, right? An apostle is one who's an apostle through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. My authority as an apostle stands upon the one who raised Jesus from the dead. There's nobody bigger than that, right? You've got the risen Jesus. Okay, this is the one who speaks on behalf of the one who raised Jesus from the dead. That's the importance of the apostle. And all the brothers who are with me. These could be other apostles. Um, it likely just means, you know, those maybe Paul is mentoring, he's discipling, uh, the, the Christians who are with him. Paul doesn't just travel around alone. We kind of, we have this idea sometimes, I think. That Paul has got some, like, walking stick, and he just walks around and plants churches. But he's got, this, he's got this group of guys following him. Um, one of my uh, favorite people to see at a particular conference or event uh, is, uh, is Mark Dever, pastor of a church in 
Washington, D.C. I've, I've never seen him without, you know, just a herd of uh, disciples around him. And he has a number of young guys that have come out of business, politics. Uh, a guy was an editor of a, of a magazine, something like that. I, you know, you got, you got all these young guys. And so he has um, led many of them to Christ. And the ones that he hasn't, have just started to follow him. And so he'll be in his office working on his sermon. He's got this giant office and just thousands and thousands and thousands of books, which, you know, makes me go, oh, you know, kind of um, in awe of the office. But in his office, as he's working on his sermon, at any given time, there's just a number of young guys coming in and out of the room. There's other people too, but, but all these disciples that he has are coming in and out. They're talking about sermon. They're talking about what he's preaching on. They're asking questions. And then after he's done preaching a sermon, they sit around and his elders and other, these young people that he's mentoring, they get to just say, here's what I didn't th- agree with in your sermon. Okay? I mean, that's, that's the idea. Paul walking around with this gaggle of guys who he are, is training, but also just many disciples that are um, following him and, and helping him and being a part of that work. He's, he's mentioning them because he's basically saying, I'm coming to you as an apostle, uh, one who with the authority of the God who raised Christ from the dead, and I've got a whole bunch of other disciples with me, and we're all on the same page, we're a united front, and I'm about ready to give you uh, a smackdown because I love you. That's how Paul starts Galatians. To the churches of Galatia. And he says grace and peace. And this is basically where his kindness ends. If you go to a, another letter of Paul, there's usually thanksgiving for them. And I know of these things. And this has been heard about you. And this is, this is who you are. And this is what you're about. And he says these words of praise. Even when there's problems, he'll give them praise for the good things that are going on. Because, you know, it's a good way to start a conversation, right? It's to recognize, I know who you are. What, what happens when somebody starts talking to you and all they do is come to you with condemnation? What, what, what does it feel like to you? I don't do anything right. This is what Molly says to me. Uh, we were just doing some premarital counseling, and Molly, uh, I, one of the things I was just really honest about was, you know what, Molly will come to me and just say, do I do anything right? And I was like, oh, you know, it just, it's a, like a dagger in my back because I realized she's saying that, not because I don't think she does anything right, but because I'm not very good at showing and saying these are the things that you do that are so wonderful. And so it's, you know, that's condemnation upon me when I do that. And so when Paul writes these letters, even to churches with, that are messed up, I have lots of problems, he'll often start with who they are, what's good about them because of what the gospel is doing. You gather more flies with honey, right? And so he, he starts by endearing himself to them, and then he begins to explain where their problems lie. The Galatian church is in a different place. He says, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And then he's talking about God. He's not talking about them. He's just saying, I, I wish something good for you, grace and peace. I wish good things to you. When I write letters, I write grace and peace and then sign my name. When I write emails, I write grace and peace and then sign my name. That's how I finish those things because I wish something good upon those that I write to. Grace and peace from God our Father, the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from this present evil age, according to the will of our Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. So he's really just saying, I wish something good for you, not I'm saying something good about you. So this is a very unique letter of Paul, and the reason it's unique is because of what he's going to say next. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him. I'm astonished. You don't want astonished to be followed by something negative. You want astonished to be followed by something positive, right? But it's negative. I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. This is not you are turning and, and you now are disagreeing because you have a different understanding of baptism. Or you have, you know, some type of open-handed issue in the church. You're disagreeing on a, on a certain theological point that's not an essential of the faith. No, he's disagreeing, uh, or, or they are disagreeing with the fundamental of the faith. You are called, 
but you're turning to a different gospel. You, you've been called to the gra- in grace. You've been, you, you, are, you are deserting the one who called you. Quickly. Who called them? God called them, right? You're deserting God. Not as if, you know, God then is abandoned. Like, you know, it's not talking about God's neediness. It's talking about you are leaving him. You are abandoning the faith. You've turned to a different gospel. And again, we're going to talk more about what that gospel specifically is and, and what they've missed. Uh, although he doesn't get really specific here, this is just sort of the opening, the greeting of the letter. But he starts to them into them by saying, I, I wish grace and peace to you, but you're abandoning the faith. You are leaving. You are deserting the God who called you, and it's been in such a short period of time. So you're turning to a different gospel, not that there is another one. Notice that. You're turning to a different gospel, but he's saying there's not another one. There's not, I mean, we could say at the same time, there's lots of gospels in the world, right? There's lots of things that people believe is the centerpiece by which that they go, that's my salvation, that's my life. But it's not life, so it's not really a gospel. You see how it can be both at the same time? It's like saying they believe in another God. Well, there is no other God, but they believe in another God. So you can say both at the same time, and both of them have meaning. So Paul can at the same time say, you're believing in a different gospel, but what he's saying is, you're taking the gospel and you're changing it to the point where it's no longer the gospel. In other words, the gospel means what? Good news. So if the gospel is good news, and they're taking it and twisting it and turning it in a way that now it's not the same gospel, then what is it? It's it's not the gospel because gospel means good news and it's no longer good because now it's going to get you nowhere. It's going to leave you in your sins. You understand? So they're abandoning the gospel and the one who called them to the gospel. Not that there's another gospel, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. They want to distort the gospel of Christ. There's, there's different ways to do things. I could say, hey, you know what, I'm going to start a new religion. You know, I, I just make up a name. I come up with some practices. We're going to meet, uh, you know, every so often. We're going to have certain rituals. We're going to wear certain clothes. You know, we're going to, you know, then commit suicide when the comet goes over. You know, something like that. Uh, because we want to go and hide in the tail of the comet. Um, I, you know, we could just sort of create a religion. It's much easier to distort one that already exists. It's much easier, which is why you have so many, when you talk about Christianity, okay, if I say you're a Christian, somebody says they're a Christian, you have to go, what sort? And then usually people talk about like a denomination or something like that, but you've got all sorts of other people calling themselves Christians too. What was the big debate with the election? Is Mormonism Christian? It was, the, it was the huge. It was everywhere. It was in magazines. It was in newspapers. It was on websites. Is Mormonism Christian? And so the question, the question of wh- what a Christian is, who are Christians, is something you have to define. Because it's so easily distorted because you're taking something that has a, such a, a hefty foundation and just shooting it off in another direction. So much so that it no longer is Christian at all. So, Paul says that there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But, this is great, but even if we, the apostles, the the disciples, the ones with authority, But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. And as we've said before, now I say it again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you've received, let him be accursed. You you get that? What you have received is the gospel. Once you know what it is, 
The minute somebody comes to you and says, you know what you think you've believed all along? It's really something else. It's really has a significant change to it. Um, I, have, I have been a part of an ongoing kind of uh, conversation uh, among young pastors and leaders. Uh, the Internet's a great place to, to have that happen through blogs and websites. And, you know, back in the day, it was chat pages and, you know, forums and all sorts of other things. And I have been a part of a conversation of young uh, people um, young church leaders and up-and-coming, soon-to-be church leaders who uh, have basically been talking about is the gospel that we've always believed the gospel. And I've been a part of that conversation because I have been working very hard to, especially in our denomination, to help young pastors to not abandon the gospel because somebody wrote a book that sounds really good. And the people who wrote those books that everybody was reading and talking about have now officially left the faith. The, the, a number of them have. Um, some, some of you have heard of Rob Bell. Some of you have seen some of the videos that he's done, and excellent videos, some great teaching. But eventually he started teaching something in their church, and even the leadership of the church went, no, wait a second, you, you can't just start abandoning things that we have always been about. And he and his wife ended up having to leave because uh, what he was teaching was contrary to what even that church was saying that they believed. Th that's happened a number of times with some young leaders and some not so young, but a, a number of, of, of leaders over the last decade who've started to say, the gospel's a little different than what we've been saying, and now they've, looks like, abandoned the faith. What people have worried that they might become, they have become, and it is right for the church to cleanse itself of those people. What's wrong is for the church like the, the, the Galatian church, whether that means a church or this gathering of, of churches in this area of Galatia, this Galatian church that is starting to hear this teaching. I mean, imagine in our area, let's say there's somebody in uh, the outer suburbs of Chicago, McHenry County, something like that, and there's this really great um, preacher or set of preachers, and they have some ministry, and, and I get, listen, I get emails all the time. All you got to do is put an email up on a church website and, uh, and people are going to find it. Man, I can get you discounted batteries. Um, you know, there's, there's people from Jews for Jesus and somebody for Jesus and those people for Jesus and other people for Jesus. There, and there's, there's always, like every week, there's a traveling quartet that would love to come sing at our church just for an offering. You know, and, and, and I mean, I just, I just keep get, I get those emails, I get phone calls, just all the time from this kind of thing. Here's the problem. I'm not giving, I'm not just going to give the pulpit or, or a teaching or preaching or a singing place in our church to anybody who just decides to travel around and do it. I have to know who they are and what they believe, and even then, you know, what's the purpose of them coming in to do it? But if there's some, some you know, a, a young group of really fired up guys, you're like, wow, this is great, and this has happened. This has happened in many places. And these guys, they'll, they'll bring them into churches because they're gathering people. They're really good at gathering people. And so they're going and preaching in various places, and then the, the churches invite them, come and preach or do a revival or do a whatever. You know, you can't do a revival, by the way. God does a revival. You can, you can have some preaching meetings, right? But God does the revival. But th this has happened where people will come in and they'll start to teach and you'll be like, man, this is so amazing what they're teaching. And you won't realize that they're, they're pulling the plug out of the bottom of the gospel in your life and in your heart and in your church. And it's just draining out. The truth is just draining out because it sounds so good. It sounds so convincing. Doesn't it sound good? Like, okay, Christianity, but we're all based upon Judaism. It's, we're founded upon it. Jesus was a Jew. So for somebody to say, you should be circumcised, you should still have the festivals, you should still, you know, uh, do some ritual things, you still, uh, you, you, to do those things, shouldn't we still do those things? Doesn't that sound like, it wouldn't be that crazy of an idea. God, that, is it the same God of the Old Testament, the God of the New? See how I could just, I could do that and try to make you think, oh yeah, that's how it goes. But the problem with the Galatian church is this. And, and I'm not going to, as we go through Galatians, it will give you this. So I, I don't need to give it all to you today. 
The problem with the Galatian church is this. They're losing faith as the thing that is alone. And that's why the sermon series is titled Faith Alone. Is that faith plus something equals nothing to do with God. It is faith alone. It is not your faith plus your something else. Do you understand what I'm saying? It is only faith in God that gives us what we need. It is not that we do something else. The Judaizers, or who, this opposition group, they are coming in and saying, it's faith, but you also have to do these other things or it doesn't count. It's essentially where they're going. So, I'm astonished you're quickly deserting what the God who called you in Christ and now you're abandoning God and turning to a different gospel. There aren't other gospels, like there's many ways to God, but there are other small g gospels in that there are things that people live by that they think are going to get them there, but they can't and don't. And it's coming from these teachers. There are some who trouble you and they want to distort the gospel of Christ. Teachers and preachers are coming. He's visiting these churches, telling them the gospel you have is not good enough. They're distorting it. They're perverting it which is to destroy it. But Paul says, I don't care who comes to you. Once you have the gospel, once you have the gospel, that is the thing you never let go of. My professor, seminary, or not seminary, but uh, Bible college, leaves the faith. The guy, who, the guy who helped lead me to Christ, not because he told me the gospel, but because he took me to a church that told me the gospel. I come to find out later on, he didn't like the church. And then I met with him and his wife and when we were in seminary and they were in town and, and I sat down with them and we talked about some stuff and I started to realize this guy doesn't believe in the gospel. He's abandoned the gospel. And, and I started to realize this guy is not a Christian at all. And so I said it to him. He's never contacted me since. He's never wanted to keep in contact because he feels like I've abandoned him. But it's he that has abandoned Christ and has turned to a different gospel. I, I, I have this series of people, people that were instrumental in my life. And you probably can think, if you've been around Christians very long at all, about people who've just, you know, I, I, I believe, and then all of a sudden it's like, ah, you know, something else. And maybe it's really similar. I, I, get, um, I get messages from this girl who we were great friends with. Um, in, a, in another state, I don't want to get too specific, but uh, quoting false teachers just over and over again on her Facebook page. And it just makes me sick. But the gospel is very easy to abandon. You could say, well, you know, maybe they were never Christians or maybe whatever. Maybe they're just, but Paul here, notice what Paul does. He doesn't write to them and say, you're no longer the church. You're a bunch of unbelievers. What he's saying is you have to realize, and remember, this is, this is very early in the church. Very early. I mean, for, for a few hundred years, they were, the church was continually getting people who were saying, okay, now, this is who Jesus is, and then it's a bit off, and then the church meets together, the leaders meet together, and, and you know, there's councils and other things, and they, they say, they, through debate and taking scripture and reading the scriptures together and praying together, and they say, no, this is what the Bible teaches. It's not what this guy's teaching. So that guy is now a heretic. And now we use their name as a, a, a particular heresy that has been held by people over time. This is what happens to the church, a very early church. He's saying, you're really close. You're really close. They have the Jerusalem Council that happens not too long after this in which they say, you do not have to do what the Jews did. But the Galatian church is there. Paul isn't abandoning them. He is saying, you are abandoning Christ, but he still has hope, which is why he writes the letter. He still has hope that they will realize that somebody is preaching something contrary to what has already been preached to them. So when people come to this church and I get questions about what does this church believe? What's the church about? I, I, I almost never get anybody that asks about the gospel. They ask about all the open-handed things. What do you believe about this? What do you believe about that? What do you believe? I mean, you know, it's just, it, it happens all the time. 
I mean, if I started listing the things that I get asked questions about, I sometimes have to stop people and say, what about this? What about the closed hand? Why don't you ask me if we believe in Jesus as the only son of God, born of a virgin, lived a perfect life, died in our place as our substitute, was in the grave for three days, risen from the... Did he just assume that? Because of what? I'm, t- I'm just telling you, find, go travel somewhere and go to a church that has the word Baptist in the name. Or, or another denomination that you think is trustworthy in some way. And you'll start to find them. They're teaching all sorts of things. I'm constantly, when, when we're on vacation or when we've been at other churches on Sundays, I'm constantly wanting to just go up to the pre- preacher afterwards and say, What are you doing? Preach the gospel. What, what are you preaching? Why are you, who would spend time listening to this drivel? It's just, Why? And, and so Paul is, uh, I want to use the word anxious, he, he deeply is agitated, but not to the point of, of just, I'm just agitated by you, but agitated to the point of activity, of wanting to do something. And so he says, but even if we, do you get that? Even if we, the people who first gave you the gospel, even if we came with authority and said, we do this, don't do it. In fact, we're going to find out Peter. Peter had that struggle. That's why the Jerusalem Council happened. Peter was even having that trouble. This, the, the one who preached at the beginning of Acts, the one who denies Christ and then come and preach the, the first sermon, not by Jesus, and brings in thousands of people uh, to the faith. Peter struggles with some of this. So if we, or an angel from heaven, anybody heard of a religion that was founded by an angel from heaven? Anybody? Mormonism. The angel Moroni comes and Joseph Smith and plates of gold and whatever. This is... I mean, think about it. Paul specifically mentions, even if an angel from heaven. I mean, how sad that we have the scriptures, and then somebody comes and says, guess what, an angel of heaven has told me that all Christianity to this part has been wrong. This is actually the right way. Christianity is all just messed up. But I've got the right way. Because an angel from heaven told me. Go back. Go back and see what's said even by the people who founded the faith, even if an angel from heaven comes. (coughs) So if anyone comes preaching something contrary to what you received, don't just say, that's bad, go away. Let him be accursed. How many of you say that to people? Right? Does that happen very often? Maybe some of you are going, oh, I say that all the time. Is that bad? Um, it, It is. I mean, this is bad. If somebody comes teaching that way, I don't just want them to just go away. Go, go somewhere else. We don't want you here. No, let them be accursed. You know, let them, it's, it's like in the Psalms, let their teeth break, <laughs> right? Let their tongues be tied. Let them be accursed because of what they're doing to distort the gospel is there, is there anything that can do so much damage? Is there anything? It sends people to hell. Uh, you can't kill a Christian and send them to hell. So it's worse than killing someone. Because you can kill the body, but now they're with the Lord. But if you kill the gospel, you kill their soul. If you distort the gospel, you kill their soul. If they believe in what you're teaching. Okay, so let me just sort of round everything up with a couple of different points here. First is, is we, we need to know the gospel. You've got to know it. You can't know when a false gospel comes unless you know the true gospel, right? That's why there's these series of contrasts I talk about in Galatians. You see those series of contrasts all throughout Scripture, and, and, and in the New Testament in particular. You see these contrasts because you can't know what's false unless you know what's true 
There's no measurement to know what's false unless you know what's true. If somebody gives me something and say that weighs a pound, I'm going to go, maybe. I mean, unless it weighs 15 pounds or 10 pounds, I'm probably, if it's somewhere near it, I'd probably be like, okay. But if it weighed two pounds or a half a pound, I probably wouldn't know the difference. I mean, I probably would just agree, right? So you have to have something that we know weighs a pound, and you can feel both of them and go, okay, yeah, you're right, it's a pound. The minute you start having false weights and measures, then everything else gets distorted, right? You don't want to go to the gas station and have the pump tell you it's giving you so much gas, but it's actually giving you, you know, less or it's charging you more per how much you're getting. Um, I mean, I, I, I've actually heard of those circumstances, right, where somebody finds out there's gas pumps that are pumping it at a different rate than what it's saying it's pumping it, and they have regulations and people that come inspect, because if you don't know what's true, you'll never know what's false. So you have to know the gospel, and then you have to believe in that gospel. And there's one, one only, the gospel. What is the gospel? We see it here. Grace and peace, this is verse 3, from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, so you've got Father and Lord and Son, who gave himself for our sins. You you see that? He gave himself for our sins. It's talking about his death to deliver us from this present age. So you have the cross that forgives our sins, that releases us from our sins. I mean, there are many different words we can use there, though Paul says it in this very um, shrunken way. So he, he is a rescuer from sins, and he's a rescuer from an evil, evil age. You see that? He's a rescuer from the power of sin, and he's a rescuer from the presence of sin. You see how it says that there? This is what the gospel is, is that not only will Jesus give us salvation or forgiveness from our sin now, but he eventually will give us rescue from even the, the present age that we're in, so that we will no longer be in the presence of sin ever again. So these are all a part of what the gospel is. Verse 6, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ. Grace, we know, is something that is undeserved. It is God's free gift to us. So the death of Jesus, grace is a free gift. The the, the death of Jesus will rescue us from the, the consequences of our sin, and it rescues us from the, the place where sin is. That's what grace, God's free gift, does. Not something we earn, but something that is given to us that we have not earned. Otherwise, the word grace means nothing here. That's what grace means. So the gospel is all of this. Verse 4, it is according to the will of our God and Father. Grace sends Jesus the grace because of Jesus then comes to us. Our sins are forgiven that we're rescued from the present evil age. The grace of God saves us and that results in what? Giving glory to God. It is his will to do it. To whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. The gospel's right here. Even in just the greeting of the letter. The gospel's right here. It's the will of the Father. It's the grace of the Father. It's the Son who comes and is given for us. And it is all for the glory of God. That is the gospel. And so for us, we need to say, it's either the righteousness of Jesus that is given to us, or it is our righteousness, it is our works that somehow achieve it. And Paul is saying, it is grace. It is grace. It is gift. It is given. It's the will of the Father. It's not your will. Just as Paul is an apostle, not by the will of man, but by the will of the Father. And so we are Christians, not by the will of man, but by the will of the Father. We are given grace, not by the will of man, by the will of the Father. We are given forgiveness, not by the will of man, by the will of the Father. All of this is God's doing. We are hopeless. All of this is God's doing. And to put any hope in what we do... In, in faith plus, in grace plus something, is not another gospel. It's no gospel at all. It is not good news to say grace plus anything that we do. All it does is shows that the person who preaches that to us is accursed. It is that serious a business. 
And so when we know the gospel, believe the gospel, we understand the gospel, what Jesus has done, what the cross has done, what God's will has done for the glory of God through his grace, we are saved. What it does in us is this. This should be our sort of our second response after we know the gospel is that we need to have a righteous kind of anger at false gospels and false preachers. A righteous kind of anger. You, got, you have to get that. You can't accurse people and without a righteous kind of anger. You can't accurse people, right? A hope for them to, to suffer in that way or to, to, to be cursed in that way by God. We can't hope for that unless we understand the gospel so much that we realize how dangerous what they're doing really is. And so we need to call out those preachers, we need to call out those books and those teachings and say what they really are. It's, it's why, it's why um, in my sermons you'll occasionally hear me name people that are preaching to you on television that are, that are trying to, they sound great. And just because 90% or 95% of what some of these people say uh, is good doesn't mean that they've essentially have a different gospel. The man who, I, I can't remember who it was, Time Magazine or somebody, called the next Billy Graham. You know, anybody know who it is? T.D. Jakes. The man who has been called the next Billy Graham believes in the false gospel. He doesn't. Now, he, there, there's, there's at least some areas in which it sounds like he could either be changing or he's simply trying to soften the language of certain things that are being said. Um, he, he's a part of a denomination in which they, they believe in modalism, that God is the Father that becomes the Son and the Son becomes the Spirit, and God is one at each time. And uh, he is never all three at the same time, which is what the Trinity is. So it's, you don't believe in the Trinity, that's a closed-handed issue, you no longer have a true gospel. I don't care how good everything else sounds. Even if his soul is saved, he's teaching a false gospel. Because it's not our job to know what is in people's hearts, but we can desire that because of what they preach that they be accursed. Sometimes I name those people because we have to realize that even though you might hear so many great things, you've got to know who they are. Please don't just listen to the radio just because it's Christian. Don't just watch a television channel just because it's Christian. Matter of fact, those things are magnets for false teachers. You've got to be very careful. They are extremely dangerous. One of the worst things for any pastor is a congregation that just freely listens to Christian radio. Listen to secular radio. Listen to people who swear all the time. Because you know it's wrong. <laughs> you know? I mean, it's, and then you can just say, I know it's wrong. One of the most dangerous things. I used to say this um, when I was a, a very young Christian in my first year of seminary. I was in Texas at Southwestern Seminary before I transferred to Southern in Louisville. And... Um, so I'm in, I'm in seminary there, and there's people talking about, you know, this song or this preacher on the radio or this whatever, and it just, it just dawned on me, this is, this is the most dangerous thing in the world because it's, it's everywhere. It pervades culture. Radio waves are just flying out. And some of you are filling your minds with people who are accursed of God and who we need to wish to be accursed. And maybe someday I should just go down the list. But the, it's never-ending. I can't tell you everybody. It's, they're, they're everywhere. I get people who sometimes will send me an email. Um, some, some of you guys have before. Send me an email saying, hey, there's this person or this book or this thing. What do you think? And I never find somebody who's accursed and I go, well, they've got some good stuff to say, but... I'll be like, no, just no. I had somebody once bring me a book and said, somebody gave me this book for Christmas. And I said, that book is now mine. And it's now sitting in a box somewhere. And they were like, fine, take it. If that's bad, I don't want it. I didn't just steal their book. I, they, they, they let me have it. Um, it. It sounded that way, didn't it? Yeah, I just, you know what? I'm coming to your house. I'm taking stuff out. Your TV is cursed of God. Does anybody have a sling box, by the way? I'd like one of those. Um, know the gospel 
and then you have a righteous kind of anger toward false gospels, and specifically, because you can't really have an anger toward a gospel in the same way, it's, the, it's toward the false preachers, the danger of those false preachers. And then the third thing I'll say is this. Realize you're prone to wander. The, the, the great old hymn, right? Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart, Lord. Take and seal it. Seal it for like courts above. It is God's sealing work. I believe that's the hymn in which the, the writer of that hymn eventually left the faith. It, it, it's always the guy who says, I could, I, I'd never cheat on my wife. I'd never cheat, you know, a woman who says, I'd never cheat on my husband. Or It's always that person who ends up cheating. <laughs> you know, it's like, it's like the minute you think that you're safe, you're, you're there. That's it. You're, you're stuck. It doesn't mean it's going to happen. It just means you put yourself in a dangerous position. It's the ones who realize that we are prone to wander. It's the one who realize we could be the Galatian church who have the most hope, who have the most, who are in the best position, I should say, to have a real, lasting, saving faith in Christ. It is the most humble person who knows how sinful they really are who is the most actually righteous. It is the person who comes with their credentials. They're always saying, here's what I know, here's what I know, here's what I know, here's how, here's how great I am, here's the last great thing I did. Should I say this? Yes, I'll say it. Somebody recently uh, visited this church. I've only visited once. Um, and uh, I preached a, um, a sermon, and the gospel was very strong in that, 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 that particular sermon. And the person came up to me after the service and said, Here's two great things I did in the last whatever. And what they were saying was, you've said that the gospel that you believe in should cause you to do great things. Let me tell you about my great things. It was one of the saddest <laughs> things I've ever heard after a sermon. It's not that you haven't done things for the Lord. It's not that you haven't, you know, but this was somebody I could tell who was trusting in it. We've got to realize that we're prone to wander, to stand upon the things that we do and, and to somehow hide the things that are bad and, and elevate the things that are good. You need to realize you're prone to wander from faith alone to faith plus, from grace alone to grace plus, from Christ alone to Christ plus something. And if you do, you're leaving the God who called you. It is Christ alone, it is faith alone, it is grace alone, it's to the glory of God alone. You stand with me for closing prayer. Galatians is going to take us somewhere. It's going to be, uh, it's going to be an interesting ride. I, I, I pray that you will take some time, be reading it. Don't... Um, uh, I heard somebody say that one of the biggest mistakes a pastor can make is to pray before the sermon but not pray after. Meaning, not during the service, but I mean to pray for the people who are going to hear versus praying for the people who have heard and how they will respond. I could pray for people who, you know, to hear the sermon and they didn't show up today, but now I know who's here and I want to pray. I want to pray that these words will sink in deep that they will be meaningful, and that maybe some of you who have found out, I'm really, I'm really relying on things that I'm doing. I'm not just relying on Christ alone, or I'm not just, it's not just my faith in him alone that's enough. It's not just that God's grace is enough for me. Maybe if you're there, this is a good time for you to just repent and to just trust. There's nothing that you can do. There's nothing you can add. The fountain of life does not need to, you to add your bucket of a little bit of clean water and a whole bunch of filth. All you're going to do is pollute it, right? The fountain of life, the river, the stream of life calls you to one thing. Stick your face in it and drink. <coughs> that's it. That's the gospel. And that's Jesus. We stick our face in the fountain of life and we drink. 
and we thank God for it. Let's pray and ask God that he would help us do that. Father, now we need your help because we are lovers of what we do. We, are, we love to stand upon what we achieve or what we think we achieve. We love to try to do things on our own and they are killing us. They were killing the Galatian church and we pray, God, that you would give us this knowledge of the gospel that you would help us not to just understand it but to believe it to trust it to have faith in what jesus has done and then we'll be able to determine those false gospels around us the false preachers around us and we'll be able to warn those among us who are listening or hearing or reading those things then we'll be able to warn our own hearts to make sure that we don't ever ever Never turn away from the pure grace and the pure gospel of Christ. What good news we have in a dying Savior, in a raising King. Help us to believe only and fully in Him. We pray in Jesus' name and all God's people said, God bless you.